This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, 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 business storytellers, how's it going? Today we want to talk about grammar and maybe more specifically usage of words. Why does it matter? Why do we have to do it? Um, And you know what? For me, it comes back to how do we explain stuff to people, make sure they understand it. I just uh, finished an article on that um, a little bit earlier today, or not earlier today, earlier this week. Days just kind of run together. But what's the right language? Why do we use it? How do we use it? And how do we make sure people understand what we want to talk about? So today's guest, very interesting um, to have her on the show and very excited. Maybe we'll have a quick fanboy moment here before we bring her on. Uh, the Grammar Girl. In fact, she's so well known for that title that when she booked her 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 time with this podcast, she used her real name. And I'm like, who is this? And I had to open the thing and say, you know, didn't even know her real name. So uh, Minyan Fogarty is on the show today, better known as the Grammar Girl, has books out on the topic, and of course, the uh, very, very popular Grammar Girl podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Christoph. That's some pretty good branding, right? (laughs) (laughs) It is. And you know what? I don't make stuff up. You know, I do misspeak every once in a while, but I really, that was my reaction. I'm like, who just booked this? Because I'm pretty sure you and I talked on Twitter, which of course is Grammar Girl as well. You you take that uh, branding through everywhere. So really appreciate you uh, making the time today. So first of all, tell us about the, the Grammar Girl project. How did that start? And um, especially why did you turn it into a podcast? I Because I love technology. I love to play with the new thing and the gadget. So many years ago, it's been almost 16 years that I've been doing the Grammar Girl podcast. And I, I was a freelance um, science and technical writer. And I just wanted to play with this thing called podcasting, this brand new thing I had heard about. And I actually had a science podcast first. It was sort of an extension of my writing and editing business. And I interviewed scientists and fell in love with podcasting, but also it took so much time. It just wasn't working out as a business, something I, you know, I couldn't spend 20 hours a week on it and not have it be working as a business. So, um, but I wanted to keep my toes in podcasting. So I realized that I was editing the same mistakes over and over again in my client's work. And every day as a writer, I was looking up um, all the rules in the AP style book and the Chicago manual of style. And I thought, well, I'll just put out a little quick tip every week about writing, about these things I'm looking up already, these things I'm helping my clients with. And so because I was already doing the science podcast, I was able to quickly get up three um, Grammar Girl episodes and it just took off like a a steamroller in my life. It went, um, I think it was at number two at iTunes within six weeks and it just kept growing and growing. And 
you know, because I had worked at startups, I knew that I was onto something. So I started the Quick and Dirty Tips um, podcast network with Grammar Girl as the core and started bringing on other people doing shows with similar formats because I, I really felt like it was the scripted short format that worked and that made it it was, was a big contributor to its success. So, you know, then I built the network and, you know, everything has just kept growing. Today we've got, you know, 10 or 11 shows and I'm in partnership um, yeah. with Macmillan Publishing, who runs the podcasting network now. That, that is such a fantastic story. And I think the one thing I want to point out and highlight, since you kind of mentioned it really early on, is you started the show 16 years ago. So everybody out there who is starting a podcast today and wonder why it hasn't taken off after three weeks, <laughs> even for the Grammar Girl podcast, it took six weeks to get to number two or whatever the, the timeline was. But either way, 16 years, that's, you know, so you have to keep going and you have to keep sharing things. Now, one of the, thing, one of the things I like about the show is uh, very actionable tips and very relatable, even in the book, the one we keep flashing up here, you talk about... Um, the difference of effect and effect. And and many, many years ago, I don't know how long ago, I literally gave up just even trying to figure out which one it is. And I just use impact, which when I read your book, you literally say, this is so bad. People started using impact, which is not the correct word either. And so anyway, so it's very relatable, very, um, very informative. But why do people need to care? Why do we care about or why should we care about using correct grammar, using correct usage, and, and um, you know why should people take your tips to heart? Well, thank you. I, I do try to make it interesting and fun, and I think there are two main reasons to care. The first is to protect your credibility. So you know if you're out there writing marketing copy or newsletters or annual reports, your language has to be proper. It has to be what we consider <clears throat> standard English. And it, that doesn't mean it has to be boring. And it doesn't mean you can't have some fun with it. I mean, I think, you know, Zappos, for example, is a company that's shown that you can have fun with your language. Um, but you have to have some level of, you know, credibility in having proper writing. Um, that, that's the primary reason. And then the secondary reason is that, and it's related, but some people will notice and um, criticize you and call you out when um, when your writing isn't doesn't meet a threshold of credibility of of good format you know and just for clarity you know if you use the wrong here's a good example so with affect and effect that those are fine words so is impact but think about if you can use a more meaningful word you know if you're saying the weather affected or impacted fourth quarter sales. Well, you're actually not telling us what the weather did. So maybe can you use a more specific word like the weather contributed to an increase in sales or the weather decreased fourth quarter sales? That is much more meaningful as well as being like the right word. <laughs> What's interesting about that comment, too, on, um, you know, use a more specific word. 100% uh, agree with you. But I think sometimes the people that use non-specific words, I think they do it on purpose because they don't want to be specific. They don't want to tell you what actually affected sales because either they don't know or they don't they don't want to tell you for one reason or another. So I think there there's some of that going on too. Uh, but specificity for sure, uh, very, very important. Now, when you talk about preference, so there's, um, there's the a difference 
between just writing a sentence that is 100% incorrect. It's not correct English, right? And then there's the difference between preference and incorrectness. And I think, I don't know what the, if you've ever done a study on what the percentage is of your content, how much is actually grammar versus people just have some crazy opinion about that you can't start a sentence with and, or, you know, um, there was a, in, in Grammarly, which is what I use, it, uh, when, when I finish a sentence with a preposition, it, it doesn't say I'm wrong, usually. What it usually says is, some people may be offended <laughs> by, by this sentence. Like, if they're not my audience, who, why do I care? But So what is the difference between actually being wrong and just some people having their unwritten preferences? Yeah, that's what I say in the beginning of the book. I say my my secret is that I'm actually not grammar girl. I'm usage mm -hmm. girl, but that doesn't have nearly as good alliteration. <laughs> so usage is is what you're talking about when you're saying, well, you can do it different ways and one way is preferred and the other way isn't or is, is stigmatized in some way. Um, and there are usage guides that will tell you that. And I love the, you're talking about quantum quantifying, the American Heritage Dictionary has usage notes where they've done surveys of about 200 um, editors and esteemed writers and quantified what um, sort of contentious language issues they think are okay or not okay. So <clears throat> trying to think an example of usage would be, well, you know, for, for example, we, we do the, the top 10 language myths and ending a sentence with a preposition, not doing that. That's one of the language myths. It's not wrong to end a sentence with a preposition. It's a rule that was made up, you know, hundreds of years ago. And when the person who made it up, made it up, it, they weren't even putting it out there as a rule, but more as a recommendation or how they thought liked to do things. So, but then it became sort of codified in these grammar books. And today there are a lot of people who still think it's wrong to end a sentence with a preposition. So Grammarly is actually right in that case saying it's not wrong, but if you do it, some people are going to notice and they might think you're wrong. So that that's a problem depending on what you need to be doing in your writing and how, who your audience is. If, if your audience is 20-year-old college students, it's not going to matter nearly as much if your audience is 80-year-old English teachers. <laughs> so and you, just, you, always, you always have to consider your audience. And that comes down when you're thinking about usage, too. It's always interesting to think about the audience, of course. Certainly, I do believe in that. Um, what's interesting, too, is, you know, depending on where you write, you know, if you have a book out, people will probably, especially if, if, if the print copy gets sold a lot, uh, people certainly will read it word for word, usually. Um, but on a blog, you know, a 4,000 word blog, chances are people are not going to read every sentence anyways. They just skim it. And that's just not me making that up. Those are the, the studies we're seeing, right? People are skimming online content. So that's a whole nother level for writers. Um, when it comes to actually using good grammar and, and using the correct usage, um, what tips can you offer for, for writers? I mean, I am a big believer in, I would like an editor. Like, in fact, you know, when I have um, worked with writing teams and content teams, I would always even say, I think you need two editors, honestly. And the reason is, I'll give you an example. I was reviewing copy the other day and there's different ways to edit. You know, there's, I'm editing for, is this correct or incorrect to, is this a good story? 
Does it make sense? Does it flow? Um, and then there's also, is it correct? And in business, does it fit into the strategy? I mean, that's like four different types of edits that, you know, I'm supposed to do in one one sitting, I guess, or, or four sittings. Um, so how do you feel about how do what are some tips for content teams to get all this stuff right or at least as close as possible? You're absolutely right that the more eyes you can get on your whatever you're writing, the the better it's going to be. Um, you you can't find all the mistakes in your own writing, and then you aren't going to know all the mistakes in your own writing sometimes too. I think you know if you need to write, that's a skill you need to work on, like everything else you work on in business or your life that you want to improve. So you know get a get a good book about language, find an online course that you know, it has little bite-sized tips about language and, you know, make a point to consume that, to read that or listen or watch, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be five minutes a day. It can be 10 minutes a day, but while you're having your coffee in the morning or before you go to bed, it, it doesn't take a lot of time. And that, that knowledge about writing and what the nitpicky rules are, you can build that up really easily over time. with just a few minutes a day. Um, the other thing is if, if you absolutely can't have someone else read your writing, a trick that I use is to use voice to text. Um, there are all sorts of tools online that will read your work out loud to you. And I run all my pieces, all my scripts through that before I send them to my editor, because it just helps you catch things, not only typos, missing words, tiny prepositions that are missing. Those are so easy to leave out when you're rewriting a sentence, but also the the rhythm and flow of your sentences and your arguments. You can really, you get that from hearing it read aloud in, in a way you just can't from reading it on the page. What's interesting about that too, sometimes I read my articles, um, into a podcast episode. So I'm literally just reading the article and it's it's an interesting strategy because about 10 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer now, but or 13, I don't know. Oh my goodness, I'm getting old. Um, I suggested that strategy in a company and they thought I was crazy that that is even, that I would even consider doing that. And today, some of my best podcast episodes um, are just that, you know, especially on the going live podcast. They're just an article being read um, and sometimes you read it and I'm thinking oh what, is, what does that even mean you know what I mean like you're almost editing while you go the other tip that I have is I like to sleep on content just by kind of putting it aside and reading it again tomorrow um, is very um, very helpful Fe feels kind of like a luxury honestly to me sometimes to be able to do that because growing up as a journalist there weren't there was no sleeping on anything you know get it out the door Absolutely. If you can give yourself time to sleep on it and give yourself time to write a second draft, that's, that's mm -hmm. gold. You know, the, the, every, every time, every time I look at a, something I've written, I always find something I can improve. If it's the 10th time or the 20th time or the second time, always there's something. <laughs> so I got a question for you about that. I 100% agree with you. And I've certainly, um, so it used to be um, I write something and it goes out typically in print, right? Because that was the medium of choice back then, uh, usually a newspaper. Um, and once it's printed, it was done, right? Today, most of my work, even though I'm updating um, my content performance culture book currently, which will be back out in August, it's already available for pre-order. Um, most of my content is online, 
digitally. And I keep going back in and update old content. And as you said, every time I look at it, I'm like, well, what? this is kind of crap. You know, I'll update this. I'll update that. Um, but that doesn't feel like I ever have a finished product. And I wonder, um, do you do you have any tips for people who grew up in the culture or even maybe even younger employees? Oh, this is the final product. You know, we never go back to it. This is it. How do you kind of encourage that culture of continuous updating, continuous improvement, especially as we are publishing all this content? Gosh, <clears throat> I don't know. It would make me crazy if I couldn't go back and fix things and tweak things. Um, I guess I'm sort of um, in that place with my books. You know, your publisher doesn't let you update them every year, but I'm actually um, in discussions to to update my books. And I'm really excited about the opportunity to go in and and make more small tweaks to make it better. Um, it, it's something I <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> something, you know, I am always wanting to do with everything I've written. Um, it's a little harder with the audio, actually. I think when we put out a podcast, it's more of a finished product. Unless there's an actual factual error, we don't go back and, and update those. And and yet still, sometimes I would want to. <laughs> so I just love the idea that you can so much these days. Yeah, I, I do too. So that's kind of an interesting thing too about podcasts, because if I have... Uh, if I want to update my podcast, that is actually very interesting. Never thought about that. So you can do that, right? I can go in to the podcast and I, I and I do this sometimes because some of my old episodes have what I would call a horrendous opening. Like I would say my current opening sounds pretty good. You know, the music is fine. The, the voiceover um, artist is fine. Uh, you know, it sounds better. Um, and I sometimes go back and I update it in old episodes when I catch it, when I'm in there for one reason or another. So I could go in and if I have an episode take off for whatever reason, uh, you can go in and you can update it. You can add additional content. So I never thought about that. That's kind of interesting. Um, but do you think that's accepted that I know you and I do it and we couldn't live without it, but do you think bosses in big companies or any size company, traditional companies, are they okay with their teams to have a continuous schedule of updating content? Or are there more people still stuck in the one and done kind of attitude? I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would certainly mm -hmm. hope that they would encourage that. Um, I think a reason, if you're looking for an argument to be able to do that in an organization, you know, updating your content is really good for search engine um, optimization. So you know, if you have an article that's three years old and you can add some new material to it, some new perspectives, some new examples, something from, you know, current events. Um, if, there's a re if there's a reason that you can justify updating it for your readers, because you always want to think of them first, um, if you can do that, it's also really good for search engine placement. So that's an argument you can use if your bosses aren't um, as enthusiastic about it as you might like. That's that's definitely a real um, real advantage. Um, how do you come up with what to even cover? I mean, I assume. I mean, there's some things we can argue about until we're red in the face or blue in the face, right? I mean, the Oxford comma effect and effect and and some of those things. Um, certainly, I think a lot of people struggle with that or, or have opinions or the whole. What was the thing the AP changed a few years ago? More uh, than just over. Yes. That, how did you know? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like when I was a journalist, you know, 
people were like, no, it's, you know, more than or whatever it is. And now you can't say over and people are still arguing about that. But how do you pick? How do you prioritize what to cover next? After 16 years, you're not running out of grammatical um, debates, I assume. No, I mean, I've covered all the major usage mm-hmm. topics. Um, you, you know, I've I've covered semicolons and affect versus effect and, you know, who versus whom and, and all those things. And so I do go back and revisit those topics. Um, I, I love it when there's a news hook that I can, you know, pull from the 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 you know an, an Oscar ceremony where somebody said something wrong or a, a pop a new popular song that uses language in a confusing or interesting way you know I'm always looking for those kind of things and then you know a lot of my topics these days are driven by um, listener questions still people send me questions all the time and um, holidays you know I also look at you know, we have Memorial Day coming up. So, you know, maybe I'll look at some topic related to, um, you know, how do you spell, how do you spell barbecue? You know, is it okay to abbreviate it BBQ? And where does that word come from? You know, it's a, it's a, a fascinating history. So I, I look at things like that too, a lot these days, I'm always trying to make it, you know, fun and interesting and relevant to the the current times, whether that's, you know, the current year or the current holiday or, you know, whatever th- people are thinking about in the world. Do you, do you think that um, as a content creator, does it make you a better writer if you do a podcast? I mean, do you, uh, how much writing do you do for your podcast? Is it, do you script out things that you say or how do you, I mean, does it impact your writing? I guess is my question. Yeah, the podcast is 100% scripted because nobody is grammatically correct off the cuff speaking and people expect the podcast to be perfect. So it is 100% scripted. Um, And so what's nice is then we always have transcripts, which makes it accessible too, which I love. And um, I think the most interesting thing I've noticed about the difference between writing for speech and writing for text is that you you, you need to use a lot more adverbs um, when you're writing for speech because when we talk naturally, we say things like, I am really excited to be here. And, you know, you won't believe how completely uh, cold it is in my office right now. And we use adverbs to um, sound natural, but they look, um, I don't know, they don't look right in text. They don't look, uh, they look amateurish when you include too many of them in your text. So the one change I often find myself making when I take those scripts and turn them into articles for the website is I'll take out some of the adverbs <laughs> that, that needed to be in there for it to sound natural. So totally interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting on how, um, but does it, so when you script out your show, um, I guess it can make you a better writer too, because you're writing for a different format. So you're stretching maybe what you can write about and, and, and different formats, I suppose. It's just very different. Like you don't want parenthetical no. statements in the middle of sentences because no. it, 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 you know, doesn't work in audio. Um, you don't want long, it, it, you know, in text on the web, like you said, you want bulleted lists of things that absolutely doesn't work in audio to read a long list of things. Um, you know, it, it just, it, it, and the other the other thing about audio is it's good to repeat yourself sometimes or to re-emphasize a point. So, you know, I have guest writers now, and sometimes when I'm editing their work, um, I will add sentences that repeat the point. And 
I understand that they're completely right to have not been repetitive because they're, they're writing, you know, they're used to, most of my writers are used to writing more for text than for scripts. And so I find myself putting in some repetition to sort of drive home the point at an end of a paragraph or just rephrase something in a way so that, that people can be sure to get the uh, meaning because they can't read it slowly. They can't go back and look at it again. And I'm always keeping that in mind too. The question that just came to my mind in the last couple of minutes here, maybe two and a half minutes or so. Um, certainly I write, it has changed over the years. I used to have a typewriter. Um, I actually used one of the little um, tan radio shack things with a little bitty screen covering things out mm-hmm. in the wild. And then you have to dial in with a phone from a gas station. Um, and today I use, sometimes I do voice dictate my articles after I fell off a ladder and I couldn't use any of my hands, you know, I literally just voice dictated it. And it was interesting because I would write more than when I actually was writing because you're just talking. Um, and of course, now we have AI tools like Grammarly and, you know, or even Yoast, which uh, grades our writing for SEO. Uh, what do you think, what role is technology playing when it comes to grammar? I mean, is it going to replace the content creator or is it enhance what they're doing or what are your thoughts around that? Mm, I think it's fascinating. I have been watching GPT-3 for about at least a year and I play with it every chance I get. It's kind of hard to find ways to play with it as an individual. But, um, you know, I've found some tools that for fiction writers that, you know, you, for example, um, like it'll come up with characters for your novel. You'll say like, these are my three main characters and it'll spit out some supporting characters. Um, I did it with, I made up, you know, for like a, a vampire novel, I made up three um, fake holidays that the vampires would celebrate. And then I put it into this tool and it spit out like 10 more possible holidays that they could celebrate. And, you know, I would say like eight of them were crud, (laughs) but two of them were really good. And so I think that as a, especially now as a collaborative tool, like to get for brainstorming and back and forth, those tools are really interesting. Um, You know, I, I think Grammarly is, you know, I wouldn't rely on it solely and it can give you bad advice, but it is valuable for people who have no other person who can read their work. Um, you know, it, it serves a function. It's not perfect, but, um, you know, I think, I I think we should use tools whenever they add something to the workflow. I'm not not at all opposed to using tools. I think that it's, it's good to find the tools that work for you for the kind of writing that you need to do. And those can be really different for different things. Like I consider the text reading out loud, a incredibly valuable tool for my writing. So there's a lot of tools out there you should explore them. Absolutely. Explore the tools that work for you. Check out the Grammar Girl podcast. If you are not subscribed yet, you can definitely learn a lot. And what I like about it is you can just listen to it in the background, right? If I have to read a book, you have to sit down and read it. Uh, Of course, you can have an audible version too, but uh, you know what I mean? The podcasts are nice in the background. It was really my pleasure to have you join me today. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, Christoph. It was wonderful to be here. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Thank you.